Romans Untangled, the podcast where we take a seemingly difficult book of the Bible and untangle it so that we can enjoy its beauty. Season 2, Episode 16, Flesh versus Spirit, Part 2. Romans 8, verses 5 through 17. For the last seven episodes or so of Romans Untangled, we've been looking at Romans chapter 6 through the middle of chapter 8 at this cosmic battle, this, this amazing thing that's happened in errors, eras, hard to say that word, eras of salvation history, the, the realm of the spirit versus the realm of the flesh. And there's this battle that goes on and it continues on. And we've been talking about what does it mean to, to have victorious life in Christ as a result of looking at these chapters. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But practically, what does that look like? We, we've talked a lot in theology language and just looking at the big picture, which is so important and you have to grasp that. But practically, what does it look like? This week on Romans Untangled, we'll summarize Romans 6 through the middle of chapter 8 with a simple four-letter acronym that will allow us to have the Spirit of God move in our lives to transform us to be more like Jesus. Hey, Pastor Steve Treichler here from Hope Community Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I hope you're all doing very well. This season, we've been looking at one theological term each week so we can familiarize ourselves with some of the great theological rich tradition we have, but not only just tradition, but just understanding concepts of Scripture so that we can know the Bible better. We've been looking for quite a few weeks at this Latin phrase, ordu salutis, which just means simply the order of salvation. And we're this week, I believe, on the 10th week of it, or maybe maybe a little bit less. We've taken maybe taken two of these at a time. We've looked at all kinds of different things. But this week, we want to talk about something called the intermediate state. Not something you're going to find a lot on out there. It's basically the idea of what happens to a person when they die right now. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, what happened to the loved one that you went to their funeral? And this is in between the time when they die and the return of Christ when he will make all things new. So where is that person and what, what are they going through? It's called the intermediate state. And it's, and it's a difficult thing to, uh, to, you know, really wrestle with. A lot of systematic theologies uh, don't cover it at all. There are some passages that make it, you know, there's some things said about it. In 2 Corinthians 5.8, Paul says we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. He also says in Philippians 1.23 that he would rather depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Jesus said to the thief on the cross in Luke chapter 23, verse 43, today, today, he says, you will be with me in paradise. So there is, there are some passages that seem to imply that the moment a believer dies in Christ, that they are ushered into the presence of God. Let me give you four implications of the doctrine of death and the intermediate state from Millard Erickson's Christian theology. He says, first off, death is to be expected by all, believer and unbeliever, except those who are alive when the Lord returns. We must all take this fact seriously and live accordingly. Number two, although death is an enemy, and he says parenthesis, God did not originally intend for the human to die, on parenthesis, it has now become overcome and made captive to God. It, is therefore ne- it, 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 it therefore need not be feared, for its curse has been removed by the death and resurrection of Christ. It can be faced with peace, for we know that it now serves the Lord's purpose of taking to himself those who have faith in him. Number three. 
There is between death and resurrection an intermediate state in which believers and unbelievers experience, respectively, the presence and absence of God. While these experiences are less intense than the final states, they are of the same qualitative nature. And number four, in both this life and the life to come, the basis of the believer's relationship with God is grace, not works. There is no uh, there need be no fear then that our imperfections will require some type of post-death purging before we can enter the full presence of God. Now, that that's it's great stuff. Uh, I I really appreciate what he said there. It it's hard to narrow it down exactly. Like, so is that person in heaven? In a sense, yes, they are. If they if they've trusted Jesus Christ, they're with their Lord. But the final resurrection has not happened yet, and so they are not united with their they're not united with their bodies, and this great this great uh, some type of, of of judgment will happen. That will happen at the end. And so, how does this all take place? It is, I'm going to admit it is a bit of a mystery, and, and some people think that you know it's just a matter of timing, and so it's just like um, you know you you will it it just all kind of lines up. Uh, that you die and then boom, it's the end. And that there very well could be, could be the way it works. However, it does seem to be there's a few places where it seems to imply that no, there is an actual period of time. And what I mean by time is succession of events that take place for the person who has died before the resurrection of their bodies. And so uh, it's a bit of a mystery, but here's what we do know. We do know those passages make it really clear that at, at death, the believer in Jesus will be in the presence of the Lord right now. Now, what does that mean fully? Um, we're not exactly sure, but it it is a piece to say that they are they are in the presence of God. Okay, now let's go on to Romans. Here we got a lot to cover today, so I want to get after it. Uh, when I was a relatively newer follower of Jesus, I remember somebody telling me about. The great doctrine of sanctification. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And that if you looked and really studied Romans chapter 6 through 8, that it will change your life. That those are the chapters in the Bible about how to grow in your relationship with God and how you can become more and more like Christ by helping or having these principles be applied in your life. And so I remember studying those and I'm like, wow, this is good stuff. Um, and but there's a lot of theology here. We've been spending a lot of time on this, and uh, what we want to do today is kind of summarize what we've done so far. Um, last week we looked at Romans eight verses five through seventeen. I want to read that again, but we're going to then after we read it, we're going to make a couple comments here, but we're also then going to kind of summarize. Uh, what's happening here? What's happening in these chapters? Romans 8, verse 18, next week, will move us a little bit in a different direction. It'll talk a little more about our future hope than about life right now. I think there's something very significant in those passages about how we deal with sin now. I'll talk about that when I get uh, when we get talking about our summary here. But let me just read. This is from the Christian Standard Bible. It says, For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. 
Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. Okay, just pause right there. That's the 5 through 11. And what we talked about last week is these are like realms, okay? The, the realm of the Spirit and the realm of the flesh. And the realm of the Spirit is those who are uh, opposed to God, walking away from it, but walking in the Spirit is what the Christian does because of who they are in Christ. And it's been done for you. If you go back to Romans 1, uh, excuse me, 8, 1 through 4, it makes clear that it's because of what Jesus did. We couldn't do it. The law was powerless to do it because of our weakened flesh. But this is verse uh, 3 in Romans chapter 8. God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Okay, so this is all about good God has done in our lives. And yet at the same time, this last passage says there's something about our mortal bodies. Okay, about the way we live right now, that that it, it still is susceptible to this sin, this flesh, this, this age of the law where we try to measure up, right? That's exactly uh, what, what this passage is getting after. And it's saying that you're in a different realm now. You're not in this, uh, this realm of the flesh. You're in the realm of the spirit now. And yet your body still is, is here. And it's, it's very susceptible to these things. We talked last week that we are new creation people in an old creation world. If you remember that. So then verse 12, and this is an important way to translate this verse. It says, so then brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Now, some versions of the Bible translate verse 12. They say, so then brothers and sisters, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. And that's... That's a bizarre thing because it leaves it ambiguous. It's saying, well, what is our obligation then to? Well, it sounds like then our obligation is to the spirit, right? And then you would translate verses 13 and 14 that says, well, if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And it's like, aha, that's how it works. I want to live, so therefore I'm going to put to death the deeds of the body and I'm going to live. In other words, it's my works that do it. Yeah, that, that's not what the version's saying. That's not what this passage is saying. And there's a slight difference there. It's a major difference, though. We're not un- obligated to the flesh to live according to it. You, you're, why? Uh, because those who live according to the flesh, those, they're death. That's death. But if, the, the, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you're going to live. In other words, if you, how do you put to death the deeds of the body? Well, you come to a place where Christ is all. Christ is the one who does all those things. We can't do it. And therefore, he does it for us. So it's it's all this is outside of us, but we need to move towards him to allow this to take place. Then he goes on, and this is why I, I, I believe this, because what he says in verse 14 is, for all those who are led by God's spirit or God's sons, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and cores with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. So 
you, you see this language here is this relational language. It's not, I need to measure up. How many deeds of the body do I need to, do I need to crank out? What do I got to do here? No, it's this, it's this opportunity to talk about this relationship we have with God that are, we're sonship. We're not in the spirit of slavery. We don't have fear. We have a spirit of adoption. Abba, Father. We're God's children. We're heirs. And guess what? In this life, we're going to suffer. We're going to look at that next week as well. Okay, so that's some of the big things we went after last week. This week, I want to do a summary of Romans 6, 1 through 8, verse 17. And I, I want to kind of, this, this is a huge um, question we all wrestle with is, okay, I'm a follower of Jesus, but the reality is, the big question is, how do I allow the gospel, which is a beautiful thing which covers my sins, and so I'm, I'm made fit for heaven one day, right? But how does that gospel transform me today? How does gospel transfer, transformation happen in our lives right now? And that admittedly is a, is a hard thing. It's a hard question. It is something uh, theologians deal with because it's difficult. We are going to live in old creation, even though we're new creation people. So what I want to do is go back through and highlight some of the key things from Romans 6, 7, and 8 in our journey in trying to understand the answer to this incredible question. So let's go back to Romans 6. Romans 6 1 and 2 says this, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live it in any longer? So the question that gets answered there, is sin the norm for the Christian? And the answer is no. Wrestling with temptation is, but victory is ours in Christ. We, we, we've died to sin. It doesn't any longer have mastery over us. In fact, it goes on then to say it's all because of what Jesus did in verses 3 and 4. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. See, this is key to understanding this. The, the first thing we're going to have to get when you want to overcome sin is you got to realize it's not about you. It's about what Jesus done. Jesus is the one who defeats sin. Jesus is the one who died. Jesus is the one who was raised again. That's where the source of power comes from. It's not about us and our weakness. And that is where we often, often, often get tripped up. We'll talk about that in just a moment. If you skip down Romans 6 to verses 10, or excuse me, 11 through 14, it talks about kind of a pattern, the Apostle Paul, we had talked about this before. He says, in the same way, verse 11, chapter 6 now of Romans, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desire. So first thing is, count yourself dead to sin. What's that? That's understanding what Christ did, those first few verses in chapter 6. Second, don't let sin do it. Don't, don't allow it anymore. And then the third thing he goes on to say, do not offer the parts of your body to, to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, 
because you're not under law, but under grace. Okay, so this is key, 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 key. To order to understand how we're going to overcome sin is you've got to start with the gospel. You've got to start with what Jesus did. You've got to realize that you've been brought from death to life. Okay? We'll talk more about some of the other things in a minute. Okay, go to Romans 7. Romans 7, we talked about the marriage analogy, right? And the important thing here to know is that the law no longer has power over us. Look at verses 4 to 6. So then, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead. Okay, so what was that? You die to law through Christ. So you're in Christ and you die with him. Just goes back to Romans 6. But that you belong to another. Who's the other? Well, the risen Christ. We, we, we die with Christ in his death. We're raised with him in his resurrection in order that we might bear fruit for God. How does this happen? We have to be in Christ. For when we are in the realm of the flesh... Those sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we can serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. So what's he saying? You're no longer in the realm of the flesh. You're no longer in the code. You're no longer uh, what's called the law. Well, that's the thing that dictates you. Instead of that, you're alive now been made alive in Christ. You're resurrected with Christ. You're in the spirit now. And that is going to become a theme there from that point on. If you keep going on in Romans 7, it talks about this war, right? Paul goes on in Romans 7, 14 to 25, that talks about this war that goes on within us. He says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it, it is, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature or my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Right? Okay. So what's he? he's acknowledging what life is like as a new creation person in an old creation world. Right? And what's the answer? Verses 24 and 25. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. That will then get him over to Romans chapter 8. Verse 1, right? Therefore, thou, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? Then he goes on to say, uh, if we look at some of the things we just picked up last week, we, we would say uh, that the Holy Spirit now is the one, the age of the Spirit, that's the thing that really controls us. And Romans 8, 9 says, You, however, control not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Okay? So he's saying, if you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God lives in you. Therefore, he would say in verses uh, 10, 11, but if Christ is in you, 
Your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. It's a different translation than I read before, but that's the basic concept. Okay, that's it. There, there, there's a lot more we could look at, but that's the basic concept. And what, what, I, what I want to, to give you now is a four-letter acronym that I've used uh, to, to help me and to help our church to overcome sin in your life. And there's, there's four letters to it, but there's a background to it. The background is going to come in what we're going to look at next week. The Apostle Paul talks about there's something coming that's going to be so beautiful that as we look at life right now, new creation realities in our lives, new creation spirit, we are renewed, we're, we're new creations, we're fit for heaven, holy and blameless in our souls, but our, our flesh, our bodies, they're not there yet. And so they're very susceptible to sin. And he talks about groaning, okay? He says, uh, inwardly, we groan because we want to get to that point where it all will be made right. You know what I'm saying? You ever had one of those days where you just, oh my gosh, come Lord Jesus, I just can't take this anymore. And that's what the first step in all of this is before the, the four-letter acronym is we have to have a background of what I'm calling holy discontent. Holy discontent is where you realize what God has given you but you're not completely content with it. You long for something more. Complaining, um, or, or another word I, I shouldn't say here on the podcast, but, but that's not holy discontent, okay? Holy discontent is where you say, oh, Lord, I just want things to be exactly the way you have them. I want all to be made right for your glory and my incredible joy. Holy discontent, without that, though, uh, you will never, you, you'll just, you'll be happy the way you are. And so if you don't have that and it errors a sin in your life, you have to have a background of holy discontent. And then the four-letter acronym. And I, it's a, it's a terrible, I wish it, somebody should, I've challenged people to come up with four better letters here, but it's GUPA, G-U-P-A, G-U-P-A. And again, it's not the most memorable thing in the world, but once you hear it, you'll probably won't forget it. Gupa, number one, the G. The G stands for gospel reality. If you don't apply the gospel to overcoming your sin, you will run uh, amok and you will end up solving or trying to beat sin by giving law to it. I am just not going to do that thing anymore. You know what? Today, I'm just going to not lie. Today, I'm not going to lie. Every time I get thrown on something, I'm not going to lie, right? You have to start with the gospel, and that's why Paul spends so much time in Romans 6, 7, and 8 reminding you over and over and over and over and over again that you're in Christ, that today I'm okay in Jesus, that today Christ paid my penalty, not me. Today, I'm not my Savior. Christ is my Savior. And that I don't need, I don't, I don't have, I'm not under obligation to do this. I get to do this because of who I am in Christ. And it's the way of joy and peace and happiness. And I long for God's ways and I hate it when I don't take them. That's the start of gospel reality. And you've got, that's the biggest fight because there's going to be 
that part of you that is constantly going to be just saying, oh, if I, if I, just, if I just get over this sin, then I'll be, then I'm great, and then I'll be perfect. And arrogance and pride will slip in, and just gospel reality, gospel, bang the gospel into your head over and over and over. I have to do it daily as I deal with this. So, uh, and, and I imagine you will too. Number two, when you come to those gospel realities, then it, then the second thing is utter Holy Spirit dependence. The U stands for utter Holy Spirit dependence. In other words, I realize that on my own, apart from Christ in me and the Spirit of God moving in me, I can never make a change. That I absolutely need the Spirit of God to move in my life. And I pray, God, give me your Spirit power. Give me, let me see that. Let, let me, Spirit of God, just move in my life. Change me for your glory. Change me the way you want me to be. The P. The P stands for pathway. And Paul talks about this in Romans 6 where he says, don't offer the parts of your body to, to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God's, as God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. You see, there's a pathway here. So I'm turning away from something and I'm going to turn to something. And this, of course, is the most difficult thing uh, in the process because I have to repent of the right thing. We'll give you an example here in just a few minutes. But but you, the, the, the pathway part is, is very, very important to get straight. And the last one then is accountability. I just, I just need other people around. I do this in community. Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed, James 5 says. Now, my contention is that most people skip the first three and they go straight to accountability and they try to grit, grit their teeth and do it. And they call it the, the victorious Christian life. And it fails. So either one of two things happen. You grit your teeth and you find out, I can actually do this. And you become arrogant and proud and now you look down on those who don't do it. Or you don't do well and you look down on yourself. And you might now become a liar about it or a minimalizer saying, that's not really that bad or whatever. Or I tried and I can't do it, Right? I think proper accountability comes at the end of all this. Gospel reality, clearly. Utter Holy Spirit dependence. The right pathway, which means actually repenting of the right thing. And then accountability. Okay, GUPA, G-U-P-A. Gospel reality, utter Holy Spirit dependence, pathway, and therefore, and then lastly, accountability. So let me give you an example. Let's just say that I am bent out of shape that I really, really, really want uh, some item. If I name an item, I know I'm going to get emails and people saying, what's wrong with that item? And I'd say, well, nothing at all. But, but, but there's just something within me that I just realized that I have become materialistic. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to believe that, that if I don't have this particular object, be it a new car, a new house, whatever, I am not going to be fulfilled right now, again, most of the time there's nothing wrong with those objects, but when those things start to slip into that place, we call that materialism, right? And if you're an American, this is we're rife with this because we love our comfort and we love our toys and we love our electronics and all this kind of stuff, all right? So what you have to do in order to, to form the right pathway is you got to apply GUPA, right? And GUPA says the, the, the gospel needs to first go in there. And so how do I get to the gospel on my, on my sin of materialism? I have to start asking the hard question, uh, why? 
This is, I hope we call it the why ladder, right? So why am I materialistic? Well, maybe I'm just fearful of the unknown or, or, or maybe I lack trust in God that he'll take care of me or maybe I'm trying to impress others and what they say about me matters more. So if I had this shiny object, whatever it is, then others would think highly of me. Or, or maybe it's just I'm, you know, I'm more interested in self. I'm always concerned about what I want where I have selfishness. Or, or maybe it's hoarding, you know, where I don't really, I don't really care about others. I just want, as a matter of fact, I want to keep others out of it. I don't want them to have things, so I want myself to have them. What at the end of the day, as I start going through these things, I have to ask the question, Jesus, why aren't you enough to satisfy me in this area? What does the gospel say? The gospel says that you're everything to me and that you've created things for my enjoyment. First Timothy chapter six, but not for my worship. And First Timothy six says I shouldn't put hope in things. So it's not wrong to have things. In fact, it's great to have things. It's great to enjoy them. It's just wrong to worship them. So what I, I at the end of the day, the pathway that I got to figure out to repent of materialism is well, I just won't buy that object. Uh, that's no. It's going down deeper and saying, how does the gospel really answer this? And when I figure that out, saying, Jesus, why are you not enough for me here? That's the thing that I need to now go to the Holy Spirit and say, I'm utterly dependent upon you to change me. How can, Holy Spirit, how can you give me a pathway so that I no longer will have the idol of materialism in my life? And then comes the last part, the accountability. There is great power in coming to someone a good gospel friend, and saying to them, I'm really struggling with this. I'm really struggling that I want to have objects so that I can impress others and so that they'll see that I'm a big deal. And you know what? I I want to repent of that. I want to repent of that. And I want to be a big deal because Christ, (laughs) second person in the Trinity, gave his life for me. That's what makes me a big deal. Would you hold me accountable to that? Would you help me in this? Would you pray for me? That's what true gupa looks like, okay? Gupa looks like where you wrestle through those things and you come to the point where you're realizing your idols and you're repenting of them and you're moving towards Christ. Now, is is it easy? No, it's not easy. I'm telling you, I told you last week. Being a new creation person and an old creation reality is complicated and it's difficult, but the, but the flesh is not the answer. Never is. The spirit is always the answer and the gospel is all the answer. Uh, I, I, like I often say, I don't know what question you're asking, but I know that Jesus is the answer. And I'm not saying that to be trite. I'm actually saying because it's true. Christ as Lord and the gospel as my solution is always my answer. I just need to know what question I'm really asking as I'm trying to fill that with other things. That's what Romans 6, 7, and 8 are really getting after. And I commend them to you again and for a lifetime of study as we live in this life as new creation people in an old creation world. We have two more episodes left on this season as we finish up Romans chapter 8, and they're going to be great. Next week, we're going to look at uh, groaning for glory. And then the week after that, we'll look at the inseparable love that God has for us in Christ. So we'll see you next time on Romans Untangled as we continue on and finish up 
Romans chapter 8 in these next two weeks. Have a great week.